welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Beth. And hello, Bishop Barron. Hello to both you guys. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Blessed Is She podcast, The Gathering Place. We're so excited to be with you and talk about all the things. All the things. Good. Okay. Well, happy to, happy to engage you guys. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. And typically when we have guests, we ask them to introduce themselves. But I would love the honor of introducing you today, Bishop. Bishop Robert Barron is an author, speaker, theologian, and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, a global media ministry. Word on Fire reaches millions of people by utilizing the tools of new media to draw people into or back to the Catholic faith. He's also the host of Catholicism, a groundbreaking award-winning documentary about the Catholic faith, which aired on PBS. He is a number one best-selling author of numerous books, essays, and articles on theology and the spiritual life. He is also a religion correspondent for NBC, has been invited to speak about religion at the headquarters of both Facebook and Google, and has keynoted many conferences and events all over the world, including the 2016 World Youth Day in Poland. Wow, Bishop, you are busy. I'm busy, yeah, but it's it's a good busy, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's obvious to us that your ministry is so fruitful because you're so faithful. And that's where I want to start the conversation today. I'd love to talk to you about prayer. Uh, Discovering and developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is at the heart of our ministry of Blessed Is She. So I'd love to ask you about your relationship with Christ. Well, of course, it goes back to my parents who gave me the Catholic faith, you know, as a young kid. And my parents were not real ostentatious Catholics, but they were really solid, faithful Catholics, you know. So going to Mass was simply a non-negotiable when we were kids. I went to Catholic schools, and my parents, you know, sacrificed a lot to put the kids through Catholic school. So I was exposed to the faith and the church from the time I was a little tiny kid. So that's where it, it started. A key moment for me you know, was the discovery of Thomas Aquinas as a, as a high school kid. And that sort of awakened this very deep sense of connection to God. And then it, it deepened, it grew. And when I was still a high school student, I read uh, Thomas Merton for the first time, The Seven Story Mountain, uh, which had a big impact on me because, you know, that's that great autobiography of Thomas Merton is um, a story of really a man falling in love with God. And so that was appealing at the time to a lot of my, you know, teenage enthusiasms and all that. So that was a key moment when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. And then with a few stops and starts, I uh, eventually found my way to the seminary. And, um, you know, now I've been a priest for 32 years. And so my prayer life has evolved and grown during those years, but largely centered, you know, as a priest on the Liturgy of the Hours. It's very important to me. Um, in, in the course of, of the years, I became uh, much more focused on a, a real holy hour every day. So that's how I begin my day now. Uh, and a joy I have as, as a bishop is I have a, a little chapel here in my house. And um, I begin every day with uh, bring a cup of coffee into the chapel and I do a holy hour, uh, which includes parts of the office for the day. But also, um, like the, the Jesus prayer, I'm a very great devotee of that. And I, I prayed the Jesus prayer this morning, uh, the rosary. I'm a great devotee of the rosary. And just 
silent being with the Lord. Um, so that's that's sort of the evolution and structure of my life of prayer. But I'd say it's the key, the foundation to everything I do. If I didn't do that, I don't know how I'd, I'd um, maintain all these different activities and you know, the focus. So it's the silence, quiet, prayerful focus at the beginning of the day that's the key. Bishop, I don't have my morning prayer time without coffee either, so I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, oh no, there's nothing wrong with that. It kind of wakes you up and <laughs> brings you a little focus. And uh, you know what's funny about that is I have a Keurig machine here, as many people do now, and I really love the, the Keurig machine coffee. I think it's really good. I, I like real strong coffee. And so now the smell of coffee reminds me of prayer. Wow. So when I smell coffee, it's like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's my chapel, my prayer time, you know. I love that. Bishop, I wonder, it sounds like you have a really beautiful practice of prayer with that daily holy hour. And I, I wonder, how do you feel connected during that time with Jesus? How do you hear from him? What do you say to him? Well, of course, a lot of it is using the, the formal language of the church. And so as, as a priest, I pray the Psalms. And, and the Psalms, as you guys know, are so powerful. It's the, the great songbook of the church, ancient uh, poems that that Jesus himself prayed. That often strikes me as I pray the Psalms. Jesus himself uh, knew and prayed these same Psalms. We know that from the Gospels, where he, he cites the Psalms a lot. Even on the cross, he cites the Psalms. So that's a very important way I feel you know, connected. And the great thing about Liturgy of the Hours, too, is it connects you to the wider church. So you know it's not just my idiosyncratic uh, prayer, but this is the prayer of the church and for the church. I'd say this too, you know, now as a bishop out here, your prayer becomes uh, focused on the people you serve. So you're aware of the struggles and difficulties that maybe priests are having or a particular parish is having, um, a concern of the archdiocese. And that, I find, in a good way, kind of invades my prayer, that I mm. end up praying for those things. But, you know, a lot of it, in front of the Blessed Sacrament for me, is um, it's, this has been attributed to of ours to Jacques Maritain and others, you know, that it's, I look at him, he looks at me, you know, like what, what's happening in that time? Well, it's just that it's two friends, you know, being in each other's presence. And I try to take that seriously when I'm, you know, taking the time in the morning. So I'm not just rattling through the prayers of the church, but taking the time. I look at him, he looks at me. That's important to me too. Yeah. Bishop, we have a lot of um, women in all stages and ages of life that are a part of Blessed Is She. And a lot of times we get questions from women who are struggling with just sitting down and praying. They could be, you know, moms with multiple kids at home, and it's hard to have a holy hour, obviously. And something I've adopted is really to just read the word every day for just five or 10 minutes in the morning with my cup of coffee. But what do you say to someone just beginning a practice of prayer? No, it's a good point you make. You know, my situation is unique as a as a priest, now a bishop. Uh, I'm a busy guy, but yes, I can find that time in the morning, you know, to do a concentrated hour prayer. And I realize that people, as they go through life, they go through different seasons and stages. And I think of like a, a, a young mom with lots of kids, even with one kid. I mean, that's a full-time job. Yeah. And then it's, they might say, well, look, Bishop, it's easy for you to say, you know, grab your nice cup of Keurig coffee and go in the chapel for a blissful hour of peaceful prayer. So I get that completely. And that it's okay. Read Francis de Sales now, you know, on uh, 
the devout life, that it depends on your state of life, uh, who you are, where you are, what stage of life. And therefore, you pray how and when you can. Mm. You know, It might mean just that five minutes grab. That's why I like the Jesus prayer, for example, because Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can pray that once, you can pray it five times, you can pray it ten times, you can pray it, as I was able to do this morning, about a hundred times. Mm. You have the time. But nothing in the world is wrong with praying it once or five times at the beginning of your day. Or when you're tempted or when you're tired or when you're exasperated, you know. So that's okay. Find the prayer time that you can, when you can. And then, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but uh, you make of your commitment to your kids and your family itself a form of prayer. A daily offering. Lord, may I offer the struggles I'm going through, the suffering I'm going through, uh, may I offer this to you. Um, I, I am, Even though I can't explain it well, I'm with John Paul II on suffering as an opportunity. Because in the mystical body, and again, I can't explain it fully. I don't understand it fully. But we can transfer, I think, our pain in such a way that it bears the the burden of somebody else. You know what I'm saying? We can apply yeah. our suffering to somebody else. So offer it up, as my Irish mother used to say. You know? <laughs> and I think it's really, I think it's badly lost that language. My mother said to me all the time as a kid, when I have some stupid little, you know, kid problem, she would say, well, offer it up. You know, and <laughs> we smile at it now, I suppose, but it's, um, that's, that's good spirituality. Yes. That's a very deep metaphysics behind that. Offer it up, meaning offer whatever little suffering you're going through for the sake of somebody else. So those are all things I would say. For someone just starting prayer, I like the Jesus prayer as a way in. Pray it. It's very simple to learn. Pray it five times, ten times, twenty-five times, whatever you can. Pray the Our Father. Pray the Hail Mary. Take five minutes at the beginning or end of the day. You know, Ignatius Loyola famously said, if you forget or you're unable to pray anything at all, but remember this, the examination of conscience, the end of the day. He said, you'll, you'll maintain the heart of your prayer life. For Ignatius, it was not like just a fussy obsession with sin in the course of the day. It's more like a, they call consciousness examine, right? Where you, at the end of the day, say, all right, Lord, what, what happened to me today? Whom did I meet today? Who called me today? What were my struggles today? What were my great joys today? What were you trying to tell me when that person encountered me? What, what was that all about when... I had that lovely experience, Lord, of sipping my cup of coffee in the morning and felt so peaceful. What what was that all about? Or, or when I got so agitated, you know what I'm saying, is, is you walk through your day, like play the movie of your day, but with God in mind, not just, oh, yeah, you know, one thing after another, yeah. or like, oh, yeah, that happened to me. And what was, it's, all right, Lord, you're the Lord of history and of creation and time and space. So you were about something in the course of this day. Help me to understand that. That's the consciousness examine. And Ignatius said, if you have to forget everything else, remember that. And, and you got the heart of your prayer life. So I might recommend that to someone just starting as well. Yeah. Sort of inviting Christ into your day, even in retrospect. Yeah. In other words, it's just say, I, I recognize, Lord, what you were doing in the course of my day. And, and I'm just going to acknowledge that and um, or ask you to clarify that. What were you... I, I often do that with the consciousness examine. It's like a question. 
what were you about? What was that all about? Why, why, why did that person come into my life? Read the world through the eyes of the divine providence mm-hmm. and it'll open up in a fresh way, you know? Yes. Bishop, one spiritual practice that's really enriched my life is adopting a saint for the year. Yeah. So every January I adopt a new saint and then I spend the year really getting to know their story, yeah. reading as much as I can about them, uh, asking for their intercession and just generally being inspired by their witness. So this is how I came to meet in a real way, St. Maximilian Kolbe, who's yeah. one of my great spiritual heroes. But there have been other people in my everyday life who've really inspired me by their witness, by their personal holiness. And so I wonder who that is for you, saint or otherwise. Oh, well, St. Thomas Aquinas, I mean, is my great uh, mentor, hero, saint. Um, your, your statement there reminded me of another Thomas Merton line where he said, when you, you find a new saint, it's so much more than just discovering an interesting historical figure. It's finding a friend, a heavenly friend. And we at Word on Fire, we use that language a lot of our heavenly friends. So let's, our heavenly friends, especially our Thomas Aquinas, the little flower, is a, for all kinds of reasons, a very important saint for me. So I, I really like that approach. I think the friendship with the saints is really key in the spiritual order. And, you know, I've got the pictures of the little flower. I've got John Paul II up in my chapel. I've got this image of Thomas Aquinas when he he said to the Lord, non nisi te, you know, it's, I, I will have only you, Lord, which is my motto as a bishop. And so every day when I leave the chapel, I, uh, in, a, in a formal, but I'd say also friendly way, engage those saints. Like, you know, so help me today. Little flower, help me today. Thomas Aquinas, um, help me to say non nisi te domine today. Yeah. John Paul II, we have this beautiful... It's a miniature of a portrait that was done when I was rector at Mundelein. We redid the chapel as a John Paul II chapel, and this guy did a gorgeous, iconic painting of John Paul II. Then he gave me a miniature one as a, as a gift. So that's up in my chapel. And I, I engage those three saints every morning as I leave. You know, So I, I like that a lot. It's a, it's a cool approach. And um, someone like Kolbe, you know, who a, is a very important player, in one of my um, breveries, I, I'm praying Spanish now out here to get my Spanish better. <laughs> I have a beautiful card of, of Kolbe that I picked up at one of our parishes in my region called Maximilian Kolbe. Wow. And they had it out there in the lobby when I came one day. So I, I put that in my book. And uh, he's an important player for me, too. So I, I, I like that approach a lot. Yeah. Is there anyone um, alive right now, maybe a, a spiritual mentor for you? Well, you know, he, he just recently died. But I would say Cardinal George of Chicago. Mm-hmm. He um, really graced me, you know, toward the end of his life by inviting me to, to live in his house, at least part-time, when I was doing work in, in evangelization, because he had asked me to do this in a more full-time way. And he said, I want you to come and, and live at the house, and I want you to work on this, you know. So I had the privilege for about five years or so, on and off, of living in the house and being able to, not every night, because he was super busy, I was busy too, but maybe a couple times a week, we'd have dinner together, you know. And uh, that was a great privilege. And some of the great memories of my priesthood were when he had a free evening, he loved to stay after dinner and talk, you know. Mm-hmm. And we had very similar interests in philosophy and culture and theology and all that. And John Paul II was his great hero. So we spent many, many hours talking about the spiritual life and about theology. And uh, those are great memories. Of my, and I call upon him all the time. Mm-hmm. I call Colonel George all the time to... Um, help me, guide me, give me direction, you know. 
What a gift. Yeah, it was. It was a great grace in my life. Anyway, of course, I knew him and admired him for many years. But then at, at the end there, when he kind of drew me into his into his household, into his company, and uh, had a big, big impact on me. So I want to shift gears, if I may. Um, I have a burning question just from my own personal prayer life. Like I shared with you, I've been reading and studying Matthew every morning just for five or ten minutes. I just try to break down one story at a time. And recently I've been in Matthew 10 when Jesus gave authority to his apostles to cast out demons and cure every sickness and disease. So they had been watching Jesus perform these miracles right before then. As I can imagine it, he's showing them how it's done. And then he told them to go out and do likewise. So it reminded me of what Jesus also says at the Last Supper. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I'm going to the Father. And they did all of this before the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I'm wondering if that same authority belongs to every Christian. Are we invited into that same mission to pray for healing and perform signs and wonders like the disciples in Acts? Is this kind of ministry meant for the apostles or only for priests? Or is it true for the average baptized Catholic? Well, I I say both and. I mean, use the priest, prophet, king rubric. And so every baptized person is priest, prophet, king. Now, as prophet, you're a teacher. And that's true of every baptized person is meant to teach the faith. Think of parents teaching the faith to their kids. There's no greater teacher, no more important teacher, not even in grad school theology. There's no more important teacher than a parent. So the prophetic, kingly, right? Every baptized person is meant to be a king, meaning someone who guides others toward the kingdom. Again, think mm. of parents, be their kids, have an extremely important kingly function. The, the masters also say that the kingship applies to our mastery of ourselves. So when you get control of your own emotional life, bodily life, etc., you're exercising a kingly function. Uh, now, what you're driving at is the priestly function, which is a healing function. The priest is the one who heals, reconciles, makes sacrifice for, etc. So every baptized person, you bet, is called upon to exercise that priestly ministry in different ways, to different degrees. Are there lay people that have the gift of healing? Yeah, I know a few. I think who really authentically have it. Now, that's all true, and it's also true to say that there's a qualitative difference between the way an ordinary baptized person exercises the priest, prophet, king ministry and the way an ordained person does. So it's a difference, Vatican II does, not just in, in degree, but in kind. Okay. So then you're talking about, so I, as a priest, uh, can confect the Eucharist and forgive sins, which is a unique way to bring healing and the divine life to people. I teach with a, now as a, especially as a bishop with a certain magisterial authority that um, an ordinary baptized person wouldn't have. Uh, right. So, okay, there's a, there's a distinction there, but I would maybe put a stress on the universality. And there's again, Vatican II, the, the call to holiness, but also the universal call to mission. Hmm. So it's kind of a both and I think, yes, in a way, everyone's called to be a healer, you know, I mean, Jesus himself didn't heal everybody. Right. And so it's one of the great mysteries you're up against is, well, he healed some, not certainly not everybody, I mean, in a long, by a long shot. Yeah. However, however, think of over the centuries now, Catholic hospitals, Catholic uh, saints, uh, all the way up to Mother Teresa, how much healing has been done in the name of Jesus. And then the Johannine quote that you gave, you'll do greater things than I've done. Well, I mean, heck, the, the church has healed 
exponentially more people than Jesus did in his own earthly ministry. Uh, think of, of um, Fulton Sheen preached to far more people than Jesus ever preached to mm. in his earthly ministry. So it's true that, that the church has done greater things than Jesus did. Good, but it's his spirit. It's under his aegis, you know. So I guess I understand it maybe in that context. Bishop, I wonder, you mentioned that you know people in your own life who um, have a gift of healing, or I imagine just even in your, your priesthood, in your life as a, a Catholic, I wonder if you've seen or experienced miracles. Do you believe that miracles are still happening? Oh, yeah. Read Craig Keener, you know, the Protestant theologian, very fine biblical scholar. Craig Keener wrote a two-volume, huge study called Miracles. First volume is largely on the theoretical side of it, answering people like David Hume and giving a theological context. But the second volume is just staggering. It's from our time, from contemporary times, the sheer overwhelming number of claims of physical healing. Yeah. And it, it, it knocked me down when I read it. I mean, I had no idea they were I mean, all over the world, all over the world, these extraordinary claims. And his point is, okay, I'm, I'm sure we can question some or some or who knows what, but I said, like, look at the evidence of the miraculous that's happening all the time. So, no, I, I certainly think that's true. Now, we got to be careful, and you don't want to be have a sort of automatic uh, understanding of all this. But uh, I think some people do have this uh, gift. And, in fact, whenever you anoint the sick, I mean, we pray for healing. Why are we so surprised if it happens sometimes? Mm -hmm. yeah. yes. Now, again, not with a sort of a cavalier automaticism. It's like, oh, I'm just going to do this and do that and say these words and everything will be fine. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's presuming upon God's grace. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. that God still operates? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I think I've I've realized even miracles in my own life, reconciliation in my family, making great strides in overcoming sin, and I've begun yeah. to count those as miracles. Yeah, and I and the last thing you mentioned is very important. I think is all of us. I mean, wrestle with things that we we. I wish that was out of my life. Or I wish I didn't have that temptation. Or I wish that. Well, ask. You know, ask mm -hmm. and. and uh, yeah, I can witness to that. I think in my own life and the lives of people I've dealt with, they've asked for deliverance from whatever is bedeviling you, you know, and that amazing grace, you know, how sweet the sound that, that can affect something that we can't affect through habituation. We can't affect through just our own efforts at moral improvement, you know. So I think, sure, those miracles of, of uh, grace happen all the time. Yes, I love that, miracles of grace. Well, um, you know, I... I mentioned when I was a kid, I mean, hearing this argument from uh, for God's existence from a professor at, in high school. And, uh, you know, I was a Catholic kid going to Mass, but I, I wasn't particularly interested in, in the faith. And then this moment, how do you explain that? I mean, no one else in the class, I'm pretty sure, it, it made no difference whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Sure that. But for some reason, in me, it had this life-changing impact. What is that? I mean, how do you explain that? To me, that's a miracle of grace. It's like a breakthrough of grace where the Lord, and I think through the intercession of Thomas Aquinas, mm -hmm. said, okay, we want you to, to do something. And I ended up doing, you know, a lot of what Thomas Aquinas did. I've been a teacher and a writer and a speaker and an evangelizer most of my life, you know? Wow. How do you explain that? Yeah. Thank you, Bishop. So I started Blasoshi a few years ago in the hopes of women coming together from, again, like I said, all ages and stages of life to learn more about our faith and also to grow in relationship with each other, to have deeply rooted friendships in the Lord. 
So I have a huge heart for wanting each of us to come to know our worth as a daughter of, of the king, especially for us as women at a time where the world has incredibly conflicting messaging. So yeah. is there anything you want to say to women in the church? Be saints. Uh, I'd say what I'd say to anybody, you know. I've quoted, I think it's in the Catholicism series, I had quoted, uh, it was Thomas Aquinas' sister said to him, what must I do to be a saint? And he said, will it? Wow. <laughs> Desire it. Start, you know. And you're right about the, the messages coming, you know, from our culture to women. Uh, I just wrote a piece on the on the vote in Ireland, you know, and I, I said as a someone who's Irish on both sides of my family, it was kind of heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. and that the subtext of every article you read on it was, you know, finally Ireland is sloughing off the baleful influence of the Catholic Church and we're finding our yeah. our modernity and independence. I thought, how sad that modernity and independence are identified with permission to, to murder our children, you know. I mean, so... To me, it's such a sad commentary, and that young women, especially, are getting that message that to be a true woman, it's it's to be as you know, kind of self-assertive as, as possible. No, I mean the great women saints. I, I would hold up Teresa of Calcutta. I'd hold, hold up Teresa of Lisieux. I'd hold up uh, Dorothy Day. I'd hold up uh, you know Teresa of Avila. I'd hold up the Blessed Mother. I'd hold up these. I mean, truly great women whose femininity was a vehicle of, of the divine grace into the world. That's, that's what we're all trying to do, right. is be humble enough to be a vehicle of the divine grace. Want that. Desire that. It's not this phony freedom that the you know contemporary culture is talking about all the time, which is ultimately destructive, both of ourselves and others. But it's the freedom in Christ. Right? It's uh, becoming so, so pliable in the hands of Christ that, that we can do his work, you know? That's what I'd say to women. Don't don't believe the messages coming from the culture. But look at the great female saints. Look at Edith Stein. I mean, you want an empowered woman. When my um, niece, as many years ago now, was getting confirmed, and she was, you know, very strong in the kind of feminist stuff, and she said, now, I, I don't want, you know, a little mousy saint, strong. I said, call yourself Edith. Take the name Edith. What do you mean, Edith? You know, Edith Bunker? I said, no, no. <laughs> Edith Stein, and I told her the story of Edith Stein. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about a powerful woman. I mean, this at a time when it was extremely difficult to do it. I mean, who forged her own career in academe. She, along with Heidegger, the greatest uh, student of Husserl in the 20th century. I mean, intellectual of the of the top drawer, first level, you know. And then discovers uh, through another powerful woman, Teresa of Avila. She reads her autobiography and said that's the truth and it changed her whole life you know and then becomes Carmelite sister and then bravely goes to her death at Auschwitz on behalf of her own people I mean um, line up all the Hollywood starlets you want they won't add up mm. to Edith Stein you know what I'm saying in terms of power and strength of character so yeah. that's what I say to women follow the great female saints Bishop thank you so much for your oh, time and delighted Um, for sharing your story and your wisdom with us. So uh, would you lead us in prayer? Yeah, sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many gifts you give us. We thank you for this opportunity to explore your word, to share your word. Lord, continue to give us the strength and this prudence and this courage. Help us, Lord, please, to conform our lives to, to the great saints, we're invoking, especially today, uh, Edith Stein and, and the Little Flower, uh, Teresa of Calcutta, especially these great uh, women saints. 
And Lord, may they bring us to Christ. It's our conformity to him that matters above all. Lord, we praise you, we give you thanks, and we ask you for this, uh, for this great mercy. And we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thanks again, Amen. Bishop. You're welcome. Thank you, great Bishop. Be- Have a wonderful day. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.